Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you looking for the perfect way to take your brand to the next level? Want to reach a dedicated, engaged audience that's all ears? With Audiohook.com, you can do just that. Audiohook is the premier podcast advertising platform, connecting advertisers with some of the best podcasts in the world. Audiohook uses advanced targeting techniques to ensure your message reaches the right ears, at the right time. With detailed analytics, you'll be able to track your campaign's performance and optimize your strategy for maximum impact. Plus, their team of experts are there every step of the way, providing guidance and support to make your campaign a success. So, whether you're a startup, a small business owner, or a marketing pro, Audiohook is your one-stop shop for podcast advertising success. Head over to audiohook.com to start your journey today. I'm Sam, and I co-host the Scott Holm Podcast, the known universe's first Houston Cougar Sports Podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices, and as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well, if all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it if you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing if not big dorks. So thank you and go Cougs. I am your host, Andy Metz. Today, we are recapping a full weekend and one day of the Kansas Jayhawk calendar uh, for sports. There is a ton of stuff that happened over the weekend. Kansas got bowl eligible in football for the first time in a really, really long time. Look, I am so happy to be vindicated much, much earlier than I thought I was going to be. Um, I did have the Jayhawks going bowling. Uh, at the beginning of the year, and so I'm so glad that they decided to prove me right because I know that they did it all just for me. But we also have a basketball game to talk about. They had a great opening uh, to the season, the actual regular season this time. And, of course, here to help me recap all of it, to talk about everything that happened this weekend, it is Kyle Davis, our uh, deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. Kyle, how are you doing today? So I'm happy that I was on the optim. I was being looked at as too optimistic early in the season when I said four to five wins, and I'm gladly I, I'm I'm proud to be wrong on that one and underselling this team somehow. Uh, so yeah, I thought I thought four to five. Uh, I mean, we honestly, I know we'll talk about it a little bit. Like we could be looking at seven after this Texas Tech game, can, even though they're underdogs. Uh, Morton's isn't playing a quarterback, so there's like this one's kind of up for grabs as well for the taking. So yeah, this is. Uh, exceeded everyone's expectations and and you can definitely feel it uh just the energy and the palpableness around town it's it's exciting we haven't had it in a long time yeah i know you know it was it was actually kind of funny because i was in the post-game press conference and one of the members of the media 
um, one of the other members of the media, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but turned around and said, now you, you had them doing pretty well this year. Right. And I was like, like you had them what four or five. And I was like, no, no, I, I had them bowling at the beginning of the year, but I thought it was going to take all the way to the case taking him to actually get there. Um, like it was, it was fantastic. I think to just one, I am, I've been known as the guy for quite a while. That is the hopeless optimist, uh, in terms of Kansas fans and always thinks that Kansas is going to do a whole lot better than they actually do. So it's nice to be proven right for once. Um, but you know, this game I think was all about what happened. Obviously the big storylines are, you know, Devin Neal's performance and Jason Bean, you know, kind of getting redemption after the awful first half that he had against Oklahoma state down in Stillwater last year. Um, and for him to be able to lead this team to the win that they had is great for him. But before we get to those obvious stories, I am curious, is there something else that jumped out to you from this game? Another kind of like an undercard or something else that we want to make sure we highlight off the top so that it doesn't get forgotten about. I mean, you know, I will say, well, one, I know we'll talk about this with Devin Neal, I think, but the offensive line deserves a lot of credit uh, for how they played on Saturday. But also, I know it's a true freshman quarterback you're going up against, but the defense really had one of its better performances uh, of the year, not only uh, the turnovers, obviously, and it was great to have Kobe Bryant back. Uh, you know, Melo Dotson played well. I was, I was happy to see Rich uh, get an interception finally. But even just, the, you know, the, the pressure on – uh, on the quarterback, the run, you know, like the, the running game, just in general, holding him to 110 yards on 35 carries. Like it just seemed like now, you know, again, true freshman quarterback aside, we all know kind of that, you know, it, this might've been a little bit different with Spencer Sanders in there, but like, I, it just seemed like nothing was easy for the Cowboys or even if they did get a nice chunk play, it didn't lead to one after another, how we've seen kind of with the Kansas, you know, sometimes bend but don't break or bend and break defense. Uh, so I do think the defense as a whole deserves a lot of credit for, again, you know, this w- would have probably been different with Spencer Sanders in there. But I think that the the way they played, even if Sanders was in there, would have been good enough to – I don't see – I don't see Oklahoma State scoring 37 points, even if Spencer Sanders plays uh, the way that the defense played on Saturday. Well, and, and and that's the thing, too, right? Like, Oklahoma State has had injury issues all over the place this year, but even Spencer Sanders in the last few weeks had not been playing up to what we normally see from him. And I, you know, I, I have the feeling based off of my conversations with some Oklahoma State people, you know, that it was a, he's been dealing with a shoulder injury for at least the last three or four weeks, which isn't necessarily that surprising. Obviously, the bye week for them coming early or the idle week coming early in the season during week four is a big issue for them not having that rest, you know, recently to get everybody healthy again. But Kansas did exactly what they needed to do. You know, they had a good game plan. And, and like, we have seen way too many times where Kansas has had in a very advantageous situation that if they had a competent team, they could take advantage of it, and they haven't done that. So much like the Tennessee Tech you know, slaughtering Tennessee Tech was like a, you should be able to do that, but Kansas hasn't done that in the past. Well, they did that this year. This year, you're facing a, a severely depleted Oklahoma State team, and you're able to take full advantage of that by getting big dynamic plays on both offense and defense. And and so, like, f- for me, I think the the kind of unsung or the, the the thing that we're likely to forget about, I think, is is the fact that Luke Grimm has established himself as the go-to receiver for this team. There was, I, I had trouble counting them, um, but it seemed like there was at least four or five drives where within the first two or three plays, like they needed a play to get a first down to get the momentum started for that drive. And what did they do? They threw it to Luke Grimm out on the sideline and he picked up in, in, anywhere from eight to 12 yards. Um, they did that repeatedly throughout the entire game. And he has stepped up in a lot of big situations. He also dove on the fumble that uh, Devin Neal had over by the goal line, you know, to, to kind of keep that drive moving um, Luke Grimm, I think, has done quite a bit and doesn't get quite the quite the accolades that I think everyone else does because he doesn't make you know the spectacular touchdown catches like Lawrence Arnold. Although he has made some some pretty good ones himself, you know he doesn't have those really long touchdown passes that Quentin Skinner has. You know he's not the the go to you know tight end extraordinaire that that Jared Casey is over the middle. Which you know he had a great play that was extremely reminiscent of the Texas game. Um, in this one to get a touchdown. But so there are a lot of, I think, other offensive guys that for whatever reason get highlighted. Luke Grimm has been that steady presence on this team. And I know that we've talked about him a few times and I've seen some other people kind of giving him some credit, but you know, he does those kind of junkyard things that 
are super important for a successful team, but don't typically get the recognition because it's so easy to overlook them. Yeah, and he's Mr. He's Mr. Third Down. He is the guy that that both Bean and, and Daniels have gone to when they needed seven yards on third and long, and he's going to you know pick it up, uh, which is good. It, it feels like there's a bit of an identity now to this group of receivers because I think that was the one area where starting in the year we're like, yes, we got you know there's a couple of guys here, but did they really you know it, it was hard to know kind of what their role and identity was. Like you have Skinner as the deep threat. You have Luke Grimm is the like, you know, again, the safety blanket, like he is the Mr. Reliable go to him when you need, you know, eight yards on third down. Jared Casey's kind of the, you know, break glass in case of emergency, (laughs) big play, maybe the momentum guy. Uh, Arnold's going to make some great catches, but yeah, I I think Grimm gets a lot of credit as does a lot of the receivers, but he is, you're right. He's not the flashy. When you look at someone like comparing him to someone like Skinner, who is going to get, his yards in giant chunks, 30 yards down the field. That's going to get everybody super pumped because it's a big play. Like Grimm's just going to like, it's the death by a thousand cuts. Like he is just going to to beat you seven to 10 yards at a time, but he's going to make the catch when you absolutely need him to. Yeah, for sure. All right. So I've, I've delayed it enough. Let's go ahead and talk about the obvious big story, which is Devin Neal, the Lawrence, Kansas product who stayed home with the Jayhawks went absolutely ballistic in this game. Um, let's see, he had, uh, I just want to make sure I actually get the numbers right. Cause I've looked at a couple, he had 224 rushing yards on 32 carries for it uh, with a touchdown as well, but also had 110 receiving yards on six catches, including a 53 yard, you know, shovel pass scramble, uh, late in that game to kind of ice the game and, and make it pretty much impossible for Oklahoma state to have enough time to come back. Um, he was all over the place, you know, gashing through gigantic holes in the line, but not just taking advantage of the fantastic run blocking that they, that the Jayhawks had in this game. I, I think I can think of one play. I made a comment of it when I was up in the press box, you know, with, with everybody that was around me, including Brendan, um, one of our other writers over at, at Blue Wings Rising and, and made a comment about, you know, it's like he had six spin moves in a row or something on a run, which was just absolutely ridiculous to see, you know, him do that time and time again. Um, and, and to be effective, like it, it was great to see just how much he was able to elude guys. And I think I wrote about this in my recap that, you know, it was, he did it in a bunch of different ways. He ran over a couple guys. He, you know, was able to make a nice big jump cut to, to take advantage of a hole. He was able to just make guys miss tackles. Like he did his, or he got his production in more than just one way, showed that he is that all purpose type runner that we were hoping that he was, and he's had to shoulder more and more of the load this year as Daniel Hyshaw got injured, you know, as, as Kai Thomas has gone through whatever it is he's going through. He, he's, he's having some sort of issue, I think, getting the right blocks or, or making the right reads or something. They're going to work through them because they can't just, you know, have one runner the entire year long or the rest of the year. And for whatever reason, Sevian Morrison, I don't know if he's injured again or, or what, he, he did not see the field at all in this game. So, Devin Neal took on the majority of that workload and performed admirably. Obviously, when you have a guy who is hot as that, you're going to keep riding him, especially when, you know, it's it's uh like I looked, he had five plays that were 19 yards or more in the in the running game alone. Then he had another two passing plays that were both over 20 yards as well. So he just was explosive play after explosive play. He's obviously the story of this offense. But what was it that impressed you the most about the way that Devin Neal played on Saturday? I do think it's one of those things where like this was his big this was his big breakout game in terms of the big numbers but like to me I don't think it necessarily he was doing anything different that he hasn't done all year it's just like he had like he was the guy like I mean if you look back uh to his stat lines across the season you know you see a lot of like 75 84 80 88 yards uh rushing but those are on like 12 to 15 attempts. He's still averaging like on, on Saturday, he averaged seven yards a carry. He's been averaging about that for a lot of the year. Like they have not been able to contain him. So it's not like he, this was like a, you know, like a a flash in the pan or anything. He's been performing this well, but like you said, he just got like, it was, it was his day. He's going to have the rock. and, And I'm glad that I'm really happy for him as a hometown guy being able to, you know, help bring, KU a bowl game which you know was one something that he talked about when he signed about wanting to be involved with with bringing this program back and he's done it and like it's very fitting that he was the the guy that kind of led that charge of making it happen but yeah I mean he's just he is a 
he is a he's not necessarily the bulldozer that Highshaw is, but I mean he's just so uh he's still a very big guy for as nifty and and kind of twitchy as he is. And now I think when you add in the thing that he he didn't we didn't see as much uh last year was the receiving game, which is where now he is starting to break out a little bit more. And just like, I I think that helps in his run game as well, because you just think about how, think about like a defense when you're standing back there and you've got Neil and Bean, you know, each of them could gash you for 20 yards on the ground, but now they can do a shovel pass or a quick dump off and get them in space or whatever. Plus you have all these receivers down there. Like he's already caught five more passes than he did all of last year. Uh, Obviously he, you know, Saturday was a big, uh, was a big, you know, contributing, you know, factor in that. But this just now, like, what do you do when you're Texas Tech and you're looking at, okay, not only do we have to look at all these zone reads and figure out who's going to keep it between he and Bean, but also now Bean's got this safety valve that he can dump off to in the flats. And I think just we're seeing the kind of well-roundedness of Devin Neal come in where we saw the flashes when he was a freshman and it was a really good freshman year, but it was still raw. I mean, he's a young guy. He's, he's played well all year, but again, he's been doing it as part of this two or three headed monster, um, which I guess I probably should have thrown out Kai Thomas when you asked earlier about just other guys who like, it was good to see him get some productive runs in there after struggling for a lot of the season. But yeah, Devin Neal looks like he's now the guy where he can beat you in a lot of different ways. And while Kansas hasn't had to do it and you don't want to have to do it every game, he's also showed that you can put the team on his back for 30 carries or 25 and then you're, you know, maybe 35 total touches and he's going to get you a heck of a lot of yards. Yeah. And I think that, that that's what was most impressive, right? 32 carries averaging seven yards a carry. Like obviously there was some, some pretty long runs in there that really helped with that average, but you know, it's not very often that you see that, but Kind of to your point, on the season, he is averaging 6.4 yards a carry. And I think what's most impressive about that is that he has only been averaging, um, looks like he's been averaging about six yards, or he averaged about six yards. Uh, oh, sorry, that's away games. Um, in in his conference play, he is averaging, uh, I looked at it, it said like 12 yards a carry in conference play which does not sound right now that I'm actually looking at it again. I think that there's something wrong with the ESPN numbers, but still like, you know what? That might've been the non-conference because he had that, that 27 yard average in the Tennessee tech game when he had 108 yards on four carries. Um, But no, so like, but this is one of those things where he has been that guy all year long. But to your point, Daniel Hyshaw was taking a lot of those, you know, a lot of those big bruising carries where, you know, it, it took away an entire aspect of the game, mainly because that's what Daniel Hyshaw did the best, right, was running into guys, being that that big, beefy runner that can run over guys. We, we haven't really had an opportunity to see Neil do that much because they haven't used him in that kind of style. He used he did it this time. But I think what they've done so well in the last few years or last few games, I mean, coming into this week was – the run or the pass blocking that Devin Neal has done, right? And so by setting that up, by setting up the the looks on film where he has been really good in his pass blocking, it makes teams think that he is going, like when he sets up for a pass block, that he's blocking. Um, Oklahoma State completely left him alone and, you know, opened up all those possibilities for him to just leak out and go ahead and get those huge those huge runs. So that puts that on film. Another thing that teams have to worry about just another way that this Kansas team can attack. Uh, you know, final, final thing that I'll kind of note here um, just in terms of stuff that I think is, is a, uh, well, kind of underappreciated. We saw a very imaginative game plan again from Andy Kotelnicki in this game. Like, yes, you can talk about how depleted Oklahoma state was, but the fact that they did so many different things to take advantage of it in so many different ways but also stuck with the things that were being successful as they added new wrinkles to it. We hadn't seen that in the last three games. We, we kind of saw it a little bit in the second half against TCU, but against Oklahoma and Baylor, you know, one of our biggest complaints was just the fact that this team had gone back to that boring style of play where they were trying to be conservative, trying to make sure that they didn't lose too badly instead of pulling out all the stops and doing everything they possibly could to get as creative as possible and try to, and try to get out of there with wins. So, um, you know, the fact that this defense stepped up the way that they did in those games to keep that offense in it, when the offense just seemed to lose all of their ingenuity, um, was a huge testament to them. But to see it back on both sides of the ball, to see them doing all of this creative stuff, 
gives you a lot of hope going against a Texas Tech team, like you said, that's beat up. And then you have two huge tests in Texas and Kansas State. Like, Kansas is not out of the race for the Big 12 championship at this point. Um, they do need a little bit of help because they need Baylor to lose a couple games. But there is a very good, like, there is a, a very decent possibility that if they win out, they could be finding themselves in Arlington to face TCU and get that rematch. So um, they still have a ton to play for, and they still have a ton of big performances to put up. And, and I don't think you can undersell how important potentially in the long run it was to give Jalen Daniels another week of rest uh, to, to get healthy because, you know, we know he was warming up. He was in uniform. It, I, I don't, I haven't seen, I don't think Lance Leifold has said, but like, it felt like kind of one of those, he's going to be, you know, a break glass in case of emergency. If things start going South badly, okay, maybe he's ready. But now you've got one, you've got Jason Bean's confidence uh, assuredly at a, at an all time high and you give Jalen Daniels more time. You don't have to rush, rush him. Now you can, maybe they do something similar. I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens in this Texas tech game, especially when they're, you know, shuffling around a quarterback too is, is you could even maybe one more week, depending on where Jalen Daniels is at and what the doctors say, you give him maybe a little more rest, start with Bean or kind of start to ease him back in a little bit more. But uh, that was, that was good to see that, you know, obviously everyone, really wants to see Daniel, uh, Jalen Daniels back, myself included. But it was it was really nice to be able to know, to your point, the season's not over. There's going to be some big games at the end of this. You you don't need to rush into something with your star quarterback because now you have Jason Bean playing really well, and you give him another week to rest and just get healthy. And I don't think you can you can undersell how important that could be. Well, and, and as we've seen across all of college football, right, like – you don't know when a quarterback's going to go down. I mean, TCU has faced a backup quarterback in five straight games, I think it is. Like, it's it's kind of ridiculous how many games they played against a backup quarterback. So you have no idea when a guy is going to go down. Um, so to have a Jason Bean who has had this sort of performance and has this sort of confidence, you know, even when Jalen Daniels comes back, you know, there's no saying that he's not going to have another injury or need to come off for, you know, a few series or something like that. Having a guy that has had this level of success and been able to be this effective and build that kind of rapport with the receivers, because that's usually the hardest part about being a backup or a backup quarterback, right? Is when you come in, you don't have that rapport built up with receivers. You don't have that comfort or that, that comfort in knowing how to throw it to them so that they are in the best situation to actually go ahead and catch it. So Bean has built that. Um, Daniels will have to build that again. I mean, th- there will be differences when he comes back in, but it's much easier to get back to that after you've been doing it for a significant portion of the year. So Kansas now has two options at, at quarterback. They can mix and match. Like They have a lot that they can do. And the way that this team has been talking about everything that they're doing, the way that they have kind of shared everything, um, makes it a lot easier now for Kansas if they wanted to run a two-quarterback system when, when Daniels gets back and have you know packages or situations that make sense for Bean. They could do that. And I don't think that this is like, this is one of those rare teams that they could do that sort of thing and it not cause problems in the locker room and not kind of cause those issues where we don't actually know what's going on because this is the way that they played all year long. They've had success with both of these quarterbacks now. And so it is, it is very easy to kind of see what they can do. Before we move over to the defense, I, though, I did want to, cause we didn't, we, we've been talking all around it, but talking specifically about Jason Bean's performance here, you know, he, he was very, um, you know, he, he was very efficient. Like his passing numbers weren't, weren't phenomenal by any means. It wasn't, you know, like a 400 yard game or like a, like he didn't need to be the guy in this game, but it's not like he had a bad game throwing the ball. You know, he had 203 yards. He was a super, super accurate 18 of 23 on his passing attempts. He only, he only had five incompletions. He threw for two touchdowns, you know, had 203 yards. And of course the biggest play for him was that gigantic 73 yard scramble that turned into a touchdown with him, you know, weaving his way in and out of the defense and then going down the sideline. But, um, like, what was, I think, the most impressive part of that Jason Bean performance for you? Well, and, yeah, and, and the, the the touchdown run, like you mentioned, was the big momentum shift. Because if you put it in the context of the drive before, say you got it to the one-yard line, got stuffed three times, had to kick the field goal, Oklahoma State comes down, finally gets the first touchdown, cuts it to three. You feel like, okay, maybe the momentum is starting to shift here. And then Bean does that run. So it's not only was it an amazing run just in general, but like that was the that was the thing that switched the momentum back into Kansas aside, and then they never let up. But yeah, it you know, especially with I think Jason Bean earlier in in the year in his career, and especially just you we've talked a lot about backup quarterbacks. 
feeling like you have to come in and do it all. We saw this on the Oklahoma State side where um, you have a true freshman come in, forcing things a little bit like that. That first pick by Kobe Bryant was a ball that he should not have thrown uh, down the sideline. There's a couple others on there like Jason Bean right now feels like he's just very comfortable in himself and the offense. And he's not trying to do too much. He's not trying to go for it 50 yards on every play. He's taking what the defense is giving him. Uh, he just feels very comfortable in the offense. Obviously, having a running game like what Devin Neal gave him makes life so much easier because you're, you know, it seemed like the Cowboys defense was just off balance the entire game. But Bean also has a lot to do with that as well. And, you know, we've seen him in the past maybe, you know, try and extend plays a little bit too much, make the bad read, try to force something. Like, it seems like a lot of that. I mean, that was basically absent throughout the whole game. And really, we haven't seen it much the last couple of games. Like he's really kind of whatever they're telling him about kind of playing within yourself and taking what the defense gives and just stick within the offense. And I know the game planning and the play calling has a lot to do with that. It just seems he was doing all of the right things and he wasn't ever trying to do too much because you could tell just how quickly that can snowball on you when you're really trying to force something and like we've seen in the past where he just, you know, he's on a nice run and then there's that there's that ball over the middle that just gets picked off by a linebacker where you're like, what in the heck were you seeing there? Like, we just haven't seen that very much of him. He's taking what everyone's giving him. And, and there's a lot of credit in that because especially with this offense, he doesn't have to do it all himself. He just needs to kind of, you know, manage and steer the ship. And that's what he's doing now. And he seems more comfortable than ever. And then occasionally when you need it, go make a play with your feet which he seemed a little hesitant maybe earlier in the year to do that as well, you know, sliding early and not kind of get into the first down marker, some of those. He just seems like he is, the comfort level is there and he's just not trying to do too much. And it seems very simplistic, but it's something that I think a lot of backup quarterbacks really struggle with. And that's an area where you got to give him a lot of credit because it's maturity there and just understanding the system and comfort level and all of that. And, and you're seeing what happens when all that clicks in together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's also one of those things where, you know, he, he definitely seems to be playing a lot, a lot freer. And I think that helps that Daniels is basically almost back. So if something did happen to Bean, you know, on a run where he got dinged up for a play, Daniels could probably come in and, and take over so that he can get ready to go. Like, that helps, right? You can be a little bit more aggressive when you know you have a backup that you're confident in, a guy that can come in off the bench that you're confident in. But I think also kind of to the point, like, you know, the biggest, the biggest worry that you had as a Kansas fan coming into this game was that Oklahoma State defensive line. Cause they had still, like, for all the problems they've had defensively in the last few weeks, that defensive line has still been pretty good. They've been getting a lot of pressure. They've been doing a lot of things. The Kansas offensive line played out of their minds in this one and really didn't, like, I, I only counted about four or five times where Bean was any, was in any legitimate danger at all in the entire game. Um, and each of those times he was able to get out of it pretty easily with his legs. So, like, it was a combination of having the offensive line that could do what they what they were able to do in that game, but also being just neutralizing the rest of it that really was, I think, the most impressive thing that the offense did, which was, you know, take the strength of that of that Oklahoma State defense and turn it into a non-factor for the entire game. So, all right, let's, let's go ahead and shift over to the defense because I want to make sure we actually talk about them before we get to, to everything else. Because the defense, like you said, had a phenomenal performance. Kobe Bryant, in his first action back, look, the crowd was hyped up when he was announced as one of the starters. Um, there, was, there was rumors all week long that, you know, he was back at practice. There was a good chance he could play, that he might be playing. Same with Jalen Daniels, that there was a good chance he was back, that it would be a game-time decision. And I think ultimately what we found out is that, you know, they were extremely comfortable with where Kobe Bryant was. Um, they wanted to give Daniel, or Daniels that extra week of rest. But for, for Bryant to come back as quickly as he did after, you know, having his lower leg air casted against Oklahoma, I, I honestly thought he was done for the season. So I was a little surprised when he stayed on the, you know, he, he stayed on the depth chart. They were kind of talking about him as a day to day. Like you could tell by the way that they played for him after that and the way that he like came off the field that there was a lot of people that thought it was a much more serious injury than it was. So for him to be able to come back was awesome. And then for him to spark the defense so quickly, you, you talked about the, the interception that he had. It looked to me like it was a, a play where Garrett Ringel should have, you know, either thrown the ball another yard, right? I either deeper down the field so that it would have been an out, you know, an out route catch like that similar to what, what Bryant did for the receiver or thrown it another yard out on the perimeter if he was actually trying to throw it away. Um, he just basically put it in exactly the right spot so that Bryant could make a diving catch. I mean, it was a diving catch as he was going out of bounds, toes dragging. It would have been an interception in the NFL the way that he had, that he actually caught that. But 
it was a fantastic play. I don't think anybody really expected him to be able to do that. So for him to do that so quickly, and then that, that set the tone for the defense the rest of the way because Oklahoma State tried to avoid him, ended up making a bad throw to the other side, so Romilla Dotson was able to get a, a, a an interception on the very next drive. Like, I, I almost wondered, though, like how impressive was it how quickly this defense came out and made a huge impact early in this game? Obviously, like you said, a, fr- a true freshman quarterback coming in for his first start, that's never ideal for an offense to have that sort of situation. But Kansas didn't even really give them a chance to get anything going, it seemed like. And that's what you have to do as a defense. You have to to establish that confidence and also put the fear in the eyes of a, of a freshman really early on and not let him get comfortable. And, and that's what they did. And even like, you know, like the, the, the stats might not uh, completely jump out of you, but like Jerome Robinson, I thought had another really, really strong game. He was in the backfield uh, quite a bit, getting pressure. Like Craig Young was was all over the place. And so the, the game was highlighted by the secondary, obviously with all of the, the picks and even, you know, Kenny Logan, just doing what Kenny Logan does, which is tackle people and make them scared to run over the middle of the field. And, um, but really that's what, that's where, you know, we knew that the, the secondary had been around the, the best uh, parts of the team, but it was nice to see some of the big guys up front and the linebackers really getting in the mix as well. And again, like, Oklahoma State was not even able to establish the run, which is another thing that when you have a freshman quarterback, you, you can do like what you know, like what what Jason Bean was able to do, which is you know get get everyone distracted up front, and then maybe you have a little bit easier coverage and down the field, and like there there was just nothing going for Oklahoma State. So a lot of credit there, uh, uh, really for a lot of the guys up front. I know like Lonnie Phelps has been hurt. You know, he we didn't see a whole lot of him. There was also a lot of. I mean, there's a lot of uh, we I, we have a lot of uh, stoppages of play on both sides, but like there's a lot of guys going down in this game, which was unfortunate, especially on the defensive side. So there was a little bit of that, even if it was just for a series or a play, that kind of next man up mentality because they were having to switch in a lot of a lot of guys, which is you know like hopefully that can you know get cleaned up, and that's just a little bit of bad luck. But that's even just more credit to you know just the the scheme and what they were able to do considering you had a bunch of guys switching now and getting banged up, having to come out, you know, stingers, whatever it may be. Uh, and, and while the the secondary gets a lot of the love, really it was that front seven too, who just didn't make it easy and really contained everything up front so that then, you know, they felt like they had to maybe take some shots down the field. And then guys like, you know, Rich Miller and uh, Kobe Bryant and others were ready for it. Yeah. I, I think that Rich Miller had a fantastic game. Um, you know, he had, he had uh, six, six total tackles. He had a sack. And then also had an interception. So he was doing a bunch throughout this entire game. Um, you know, he has been that constant in the last year and a half when he's been here of, you know, solid linebacker play in the middle that really allows the other stars for the Jayhawks to to get their, you know, their stats and really kind of pad the stat the stat uh, book for them. And so it was nice to see him have a game like this where he gets the recognition for all the great stuff that he's doing. Um, but I, I think to your point, like, Kansas was doing a lot here. They were hiding a lot of coverages. They were doing a lot of things to bring pressure, bringing guys from weird locations. And and the Kansas defensive line, like, you know, they they played really well, I think, in a good portion of the first half. But Oklahoma State started to turn the tide a little bit, um, you know, and then the offense kind of slammed the door shut. The, the defense made some adjustments pretty quickly in that second quarter and really started to to kind of put their foot on the throat of, of the, the Oklahoma State offense. But you got into the second half, and Oklahoma State didn't really get a chance to do much, right? Like, like they gave up a ton of yards, Kansas did, um, in passing, because Rangel had, like, uh, 300 passing yards or something like that. And so, you know, they, they got a lot of empty yards or empty calories on offense and then weren't able to turn those into points. You know, you had you had two interceptions that were on the Kansas side of the field, um, you had a goal line fumble, which, you know, I don't know how much of that was just the fumbled snap or how much that was Kansas's pressure from the defensive line. But either way, you know, McCaskill jumps through and jumps on that fumble and, and gets the ball and keeps Oklahoma State from scoring. You know, that that really kind of, I think, just broke the back of the Oklahoma State offense. But Kansas got four turnovers in this game and they did not turn the ball over at all. Um, you know, Kansas got a little bit lucky when uh, when Luke Grimm jumped on that Devin Neal fumble, but I think even even if he had turned that one over and they didn't get the, the points off of that one, I think the Kansas would have been fine in this game, but it would have been a little bit more dicey. But all around a really, really good defensive performance. 
And kind of like you said, Kansas is going to get an opportunity now to go to Texas Tech, who is also dealing with playing their backup quarterback um, because Baron Morton has been ruled out already uh, by Joey McGuire. It looks like I, there is a question whether it's going to be Donovan Smith or, or Tyler Shuck, but both of those guys had taken a clear backseat to the freshman in Morton, so you have to feel good about being able to face a backup quarterback, um, even if it is a you know one of the guys that was slated as a possible starter at the beginning of the year. So really quick thoughts about that Texas Tech game before we jump over to basketball. No, I, I think uh, it, it'll be yeah. The quarterback will be big. I, I can't, I can't figure out Texas Tech very well, which I think a lot of them. Like if you just look through the schedule, like they, you know, they they are close in a lot of uh, they they they've won a lot of close games. They or they've lost a lot of close games, and they're like they. I don't think they're a team you're going to get blown out, except for you know, kind of Baylor did that to them. But uh, yeah, it's they you know their offense is what you would expect. They, they basically live through the air. They do a decent job rushing the the ball, but they're not getting big chunks on the ground really. Um, and, you know, they're probably going to, uh, to give up 30 points on, on the defensive side, but did they, the big thing for them has just been turnovers. Like they average two turnovers a game, a lot of it through the air, but then they've had to cop up a couple fumbles as well. And like that, it seems like they have been even with that or, you know, some penalties and certain things like they kind of they've been shooting themselves in the foot. Like I said, there's been a kind of a revolving door trying different things on uh, at the quarterback level. I, they, they haven't really been able to establish the run. They have a couple of, you know, guys that kind of have a, a two headed monster there in Brooks and Thompson in terms of the running backs. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting uh, schedule and team because I think Texas Tech is one of those where if you were to simulate the season 100 times, I think, you know, they're four and five right now. I think you could see some where things go a little differently and they're six and three. I could see a couple oh, where yeah. they're two and seven. You know what I mean? Like it's, there's a weird, there's a, there's, it feels like there's a larger variance of where there's certain teams in the big 12 where I look at them. I'm like, yes, I know who you are. And if we were to send this thing a hundred times, like you're mostly going to be this team. Texas tech is one of those West Virginia is kind of like that too, where it's just like, I, Although I think West Virginia, I think we know a little bit more about what. Right. They are. Yeah. yeah. I think Texas West Virginia is a little bit more um, certain in terms of what what they are. I think TCU though is one of right. those teams where you sure. you go and sim this a few times. They don't get as many lucky breaks as they did, and and you know they're not undefeated at this point. You know they're, they're probably still one of the better teams in the conference, but kind of like Texas Tech, like they this. I don't know if this is their floor or their ceiling, or if it's somewhere smack dab in the middle, and they could have been really anywhere. Um, Kind of to your point, Texas Tech has given up a lot of big fourth quarter leads. They, you know, they they had twenty one points scored on them in the fourth quarter in each of the last two games. Um, and actually, it might have been more against TCU. I didn't actually go back and double check that before we started recording. But they've given up huge leads, or given up kind of pulling their best Texas impression, giving up a ton of points in the fourth quarter to you know lose out on opportunities to be able to actually be in those games. So um, it, it just seems like it's a comfort issue. They get to the fourth quarter, they get tight, and then they have a really, really hard time, um, you know, settling down to the point where they can go ahead and actually pull out the victory. But, you know, you know what's not uh, uncomfortable in the fourth quarter or really any time, and that is sponsored here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the, they have the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. And if you get their fantastic t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies, joggers, whatever they have, you will be super comfortable for all four quarters of the game and any other time that you are wearing them. Uh, they have over 140 different schools with all kinds of fantastic vintage college logos. They have um, really pretty much anything that you can think of. They have fantastic Kansas stuff. They have all the other Big 12 schools. And they have a ton of just random, wacky, uh, mascots that I can guarantee if you go and look at them, you are going to want to buy way too many of them. I have a ton. I'm always looking to add more. Um, it is absolutely fantastic what they have, and it is super comfortable clothing that I guarantee you're going to want to wear as much as you possibly can. So if you head on over to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHOCK12, you can get 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 get free shipping. All right, Kyle, I do want to go ahead and jump over to the Kansas season opening win for college basketball. Uh, but before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Welcome one, welcome all, and you are listening live to the one, the only, Tortillas and Takes Podcast. From football to softball to track and field, tune in to get the best coverage in everything that is Texas Tech. 
Not only that, but find out what unsuspecting star we get to interview and put on the hot seat. Whether you like corn or flour, eating them or throwing them, this tortilla is for you. So listen to Tortillas and Takes. And as always, stay wrecked, people. And we're back. I am joined by Kyle Davis, our deputy editor over at Blue Wings Rising. We are we, we just got done recapping Kansas football, where Kansas became bowl eligible. Now, the beginning of the basketball season as the fifth-ranked Kansas Jayhawks and defending or reigning national champions got underway against the Omaha Mavericks, which I didn't realize they were no longer Nebraska Omaha. They are now just Omaha, but the, the Mavericks, they won by 25 points, 89 to 64 last night. And again, obvious big story here is the performance put on by Grady Dick. But before we jump into that one and all of the fun puns that are probably going to be coming all year long related to that, um, What's one guy that you think that maybe probably won't get a bunch of love from people that are, that are you know taking a look back at this game that you think sets up really well for what the Jayhawks want this year? Uh, well, first of all, the big takeaway was that if the defense just stops one more time, then my prediction is spot on because I had 80, 89, 62 in in the preview, uh, and we were so so close for that. But uh, there's there's two guys. Well. There's really three. I don't know if but one of them, I think we probably kind of saw it coming. Uh, the first one, if you follow Blue Wings Rising on Twitter, you will know that I'm I am starting to fall in love uh, with Bobby Pettiford. I am I am going to drive the bandwagon hop on now. Uh, I just I love his game. I love what he brings as kind of like the coming in, giving Ron Harris some some blow and just like leading the offense. I think he's attacking the rim pretty well. He's finishing at the rim early, which. You know, this was not a great finishing at the rim game for for Harris, which I know he's usually better than that. So Pettiford really stood out. I think uh, Ernest Uday, I know we'll talk about him. You know, he still has a long ways to go, but there's going to be a lot of dunks in his future. I think just having the big body, some of the defense that the block he had, sending it into the stands as as the shot clock went out uh, in the second half. The five spot is the biggest question on the team right now. I think he, not to say that necessarily he is going to get it, but I think he's starting to separate himself just a little bit. And and I think there's a lot of potential in there, at least to, again, just clog up uh, the paint a bit on defense, block a couple shots, grab some rebounds, and then just finish some lobs. Like he does not, we don't need, he is not needed right now to dump the ball into the post and make a hook shot over his right shoulder, that sort of thing. So like what he can do, like the things that he, that Kansas needs, he can do without, you know, lighting up the box score from a points perspective. But, and then I think the thing that kind of stood out the most in terms of one stat, uh, which maybe, I don't know, you, you're probably looking at the box score right now. Can you, do you, you want to take a guess off the top of your head without looking how many offensive rebounds KJ Adams had last night? Oh, um, I know it wasn't, it wasn't 10, but it was an absurdly high number for what I, I think it was like seven or eight, somewhere in that range. Yeah, Kansas had 16 offensive rebounds. He had eight of them. No one oh else had more than one. And so he only had nine rebounds total. So he was the opposite of, of like the he and he and Jalen Wilson are going to be uh, basically yin and yang. Wilson's going to dominate the defensive glass, and I guess KJ is going to dominate the offensive glass. So uh, I do like the you know the again like I think in the long term when we're looking at Big 12 play. I think Uday at the five is going to be, uh, for the most part, is going to probably be what they go to. But like playing KJ as a small five right now, considering what they have, isn't a terrible option if he's going to be able to pound the glass and keep possessions alive and that sort of thing. So in terms of, I know Jalen Wilson almost had a triple-double. He was great as always. Grady Dick is the story. But in terms of three guys who, you know, I know one was the starter technically in KJ, but, you know, were aren't the 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 th- top three or four big names i thought those were the guys i left with most impressed coming out of the game last night yeah i mean and and kind of to your point uday like is a guy i think he is going to be the big man or he he's the one that seemed to show the most potential in terms of big men um and it is definitely one of those things where you know um i i, I believe it was cj moore that wrote this morning um you know well yeah yeah cj moore wrote this morning kind of his you know post game look at there that Uday needs to be given more of a leash, right? To actually learn the the offensive system down low, because as great as KJ Adams has been as a small, as a small five, um, Kansas really does need to have a big to be at their best, much like we needed David McCormick to, you know, play at his best for us to be the best that we were last year and the year before. 
Um, we really need a big man in Uday to kind of give us that extra dimension. He's the guy that I think, you know, yes, it was very limited men. Like it was only 14 minutes in this particular game. But the way that they played when he was on the floor was markedly different than the way they played when he was off the floor. And, and I think ultimately that's where Kansas is going to be better. So, yeah, it, it was a great read. If you have not read C.J. Moore's piece over on The Athletic and you have the subscription, I highly recommend that you go over and read that right away because it was a fantastic article that lays out, I think, a lot of the the – up or the the things to look for in the post for the Jayhawks this year coming up. Um, to your point about Pettiford, the thing that struck me watching that game and watching you know the way that he was playing, I, I was trying to think back of who he reminded me of. And, and as you were talking, I, I actually remembered exactly what it is. He reminds me of an early Frank Mason, right when he was the backup point guard behind the Deer Tharp. Um, for those teams that had Wiggins and Embiid on them. Like, didn't do a whole bunch, but when he came in, he was doing quite a bit, making an impression, and showing that he is probably the guy that's going to be leading this team. I would not be shocked if Pettiford is the kind of point guard that we remember as that scrappy, you know, can create his own shot, probably is not, like, up there for winning the best point guard ever, you know, in, in Kansas History Award or anything like that, but going to have an outsized performance or an, an outsized influence on the way that the team plays when he is the guy leading. Um, you know, I, I do think that, that Dewan Harris, it's, it's obviously Dewan Harris's team this year at the point guard spot, but Pettiford is being groomed to be the guy that takes over next year. Um, you know, assuming of course that, that Dewan Harris doesn't come back. So I, I will be very and interested. Harris, to is, at his best, Harris yeah. is at his best when you, when like you can't, you can't be at your best with Kansas with Harris playing 38 minutes a night. So you have to have that secondary guy to come in and spell him. And like, and if you can get 28 to 32 minutes out of Dwan Harris, where he, when you know that like, Hey, we're not going to make you play 36, you're going to play 30. And when you're in there, you just hound the ball the entire time and start fast breaks and all that kind of stuff. And know that you have body Bobby Pettiford to clean up the next last like 10 to 12 minutes, maybe even 15. I would actually be interested to see what it looks like kind of them together, even in some spells like that is a good thing to have when you know that you can give Harris that leash to, to rest a little bit more, save his body and that you're not really losing a whole lot. At, well, at least, you know, early on, we'll see when the competition increases, but when you have Pettiford in there. Yeah, it it will be interesting, I think, to see, because they, they tried to run a lot of two-point guard lineups with Yesifu and Pettiford in there. Um, I would be much more interested, I think, in seeing Pettiford and, and Harris and how they play well together. Because I think you can get more minutes out of Harris if you have a guy like Pettiford that can share the minutes and allow, you know, Harris to kind of do a few things here and there that are different than what he normally does. But the style that he plays, the way he plays defense, the way that he, you know, it, it, as, as much as he talked about getting more confident in a shot and being willing to take a shot, you can tell when he, you know, wasn't making a ton of them in this particular game, um, you know, that as he missed the first and then the second one and, and started to, to struggle a little bit, that his confidence was shaken a little bit and needed a, some, some time to not have to, you know, go after it. And, and look, it, any guy who is starting to get more aggressive are going to have those spells, right? Where it doesn't go well and, and how they react to it is a big, a big, uh, I guess, kind of warning sign or a, a big indication of whether they're going to be able to successfully um, build on that or not. And it looked like Harris probably, you know, settled down towards the end of the game and got back to the point where he was taking good shots and whether they were going down or not, it wasn't, he wasn't letting it affect him, but you know, he, it's not going to be like that every single night. He's going to need a guy in a, in like a Pettiford who can come in and be a scoring point guard when they need a scoring point guard, um, or even to just you know spell Harris for for a while, like you said. So, um, okay, let's go ahead and jump to the big story. Obviously, um, it is Grady Dick, the best f- freshman debut for a Kansas Jayhawk. Or I'm sorry, the best the best debut for a Kansas Jayhawk in a very very long time. Um, I think I think freshman wise, it's the best since it was Xavier Henry, um, you know, who had that. That was a stat that was, I think. yeah. Uh, actually, it, it might have been two thousand or I, I don't remember, it, but it was way back then. Um, it's been a long time. I think it was two thousand and eight. Uh, I believe was the year that Xavier Henry did that. So, but regardless, it's been a long time since Kansas. Um, like it's it's been over a decade since Kansas had a a freshman debut that was that prolific, and. It's hard to, like, Bill Self talked about at, at Big 12 Media Days, you know, about how good his shooting stroke was, you know, how how confident he was as a shooter. But there was worry about, you know, him potentially driving to the basket the way he was playing kind of off the ball defensively. I didn't see any of that worry. And, yes, you can talk, you know, you, you can point to the fact that it's Omaha, right? It's not a team 
Like, we'll see how well, or whether he's able to do the same sort of thing against Duke up, up, upcoming in the Champions Classic next week. But, like, it was an extremely profe- er, impressive performance from him in his first action. Um, and, of course, with how well he was playing, you know, the, the, the puns are going to be ridiculous this year. All year long, I'm sure I will get tired of them at some point. Um, but I can guarantee we're going to have at least a few in the headlines as we go throughout the year. Um, look, Jalen Wilson was great all around, but if you're looking for the guy that was the spark plug for this team that really got them going, Grady Dick had a lot of big plays. What was the thing that impressed you the most about the way that he played? I think it was the, well, cause people have already talked kind of ad nauseum about his shot and the fact, like, I think there's someone needs to start keeping track back of how many times he gets blocked for the year because it's not going to be many just because he is six eight he doesn't dip the ball down he is the quickest release that we've seen in a long time like I just don't know who's blocking his shot from the outside but to your point I thought like he his ability to run and transition I mean like if you look at this team right now the Kansas is at its best in these early games when defense and turnovers lead to offense and transition and you don't wait and get stuck in the half court and he was getting out and run and running with Jalen and, and McCullough and some of those guys. Uh, you're right. He was still, he was cutting to the basket. He wasn't just a stand up, you know, like corner three guy. Uh, and you can tell though, there's, he's, I mean, just his body language and his demeanor. Like there was, I was at the game last night. There was a, like he was, and I think he even said after the game that his, his voice was basically gone from yelling. Like he was, he was throwing his hands up, getting the crowd into it. He was yelling. He was, he had a lot of like fun out there, but he's, there's a little bit of like a, a Christian Brown, maybe in terms of not necessarily the, the yelling uh, <clears throat> at other uh, opponents or whatnot, but just like that, that like fiery passion there. Like he didn't look like a freshman on the court. Uh, and, and so that's where the demeanor, like the shot's going to be great. You know, he's probably going to have some some freshman spells where the three ball is not falling and he's just not getting into it as much offensively. But I hope he we can continue to see him in transition and cutting to the basket and just getting around the rim. And, and I like I know he only went to the line twice. You know, it's it'd be good to see him again. Like kind of, I, I know there's a couple times early where there was some questionable block charge. You know, contested layup. Uh, calls or no calls that sort of thing but he really did there's not a whole lot of flaws in his game on the offensive end at least through an exhibition and again given the opponent the first game of the year just like he just looked so comfortable in his element there and he just looked so hard to stop because of all the things he could do because if he's an elite shooter who is impossible to block that's one thing but if he can also you know beat you in transition and dunk on you at the rim that's a whole other thing as well. So yeah, he's, he's, uh, you know, I, I hope the hype doesn't get too high for, for him in terms of like messing with kind of his mentality and what he tries to do. So hopefully that kind of can keep in check, but you have to absolutely love what you've seen so far. Yeah. It's, it's kind of funny because coming into the year, I think a lot of people looked at a guy like MJ Rice and thought that he was the more polished, the more, you know, I guess star ready player. Uh, and, and that Grady Dick was probably had the higher ceiling, but was a guy who was very good at one thing and was coming along on everything else. And what we saw in this, you know, in this performance, I think is a, a Grady Dick who has a ton of confidence, who knows what he wants to do and was able to do it really well. The fact that he had 32 points on only 13 shots, I think that was what's, what was most impressive to me was that he was extremely efficient, did everything that he needed to do you know, on the offensive end to have a good game. But then he was not a liability on defense. Like normally you have freshmen who are really good at shooting the ball, don't necessarily know where to rotate, uh, you know, to, to be in the right locations. And yes, he def- he definitely got some help from guys like Kevin McCuller, you know, and Jalen Wilson and, and Dewan Harris. But it was, it was one of those instances where I, I can't think of a particular play where I looked and was like, oh man, Dick just completely blew that entire, you know, defensive assignment and allowed the guy to, to get a quick, uh, an, an easy basket. And so like, yes, he's going to have those moments, especially against better competition where it could potentially be an issue. But I, I don't think that it's going to be one of those things where you have a 
super talented offensively freshman who is just garbage on the defensive end that you have a hard time figuring out where to play him. You know, he's, he's going to have things he's going to need to work on. There are going to be road bumps like you talked about or, or speed bumps like you talked about. There are going to be difficulties for him in this season. It happens to every freshman. Um, like there, there's no delusion that he's going to, you know, be like a big 12 player of the year or anything like that. Like he is, he is going to be a good solid freshman for this team. Um, but you can't ask for a better start and you can't ask for a better way for him to build his confidence and get him ready to be the big contributor that Kansas is going to need. When a guy like MJ, MJ Rice comes back, I'll be interested to see where he slots in. Um, but you know, with him being out with an injury right now, um, you know, Dick is, is earning himself a huge spot in this rotation. And, and I'm, I'm, I don't see it going away anytime soon. No, I, I said in the, in the seven questions, yeah, I think, you know, you can look at, and I know they're going to be, there's, they're slightly different players, but like a Josh Jackson level production as a freshman from Grady Dick, where it's 16 points, you know, the rebounding needs to improve a little bit, but like, from an offensive perspective, like playing the three or the small four or something like that. Like I could see, you know, Bill self getting creative with how he works and plays uh, for Grady kind of throughout the year, but just pure from like just a production standpoint, like I feel like Josh Jackson is the last freshman that really kind of asserted himself and, and had one of those complete freshman seasons that, that is memorable, like in the last, you know, six to seven, eight, years uh and i feel like you know that is a that like that is it seems easily achievable for grady dick to be at 16 points a game and being on the all-freshman team for the big 12 and really like uh, you know asserting himself in that three four spot yeah and i think really what what his what or what this game does is gives you a, a good idea of who that third option is going to be right es- especially from the guard position because most of the good kansas teams have had you know two good scoring options I'm sorry, two two great scoring options and then one good one. And I think the big worry this year, right, was that you have Jalen Wilson who's probably going to be able to do pretty much anything that he needs to do in scoring-wise. You know, he worked on a three-point shot. He's doing a lot more, I think, than than a lot of people expected. Um, Kevin McCuller, when he came over, you thought that he could be pretty good, you know, shooting threes. He was probably going to be able to drive to the basket a few, but he, he was probably slotting in as, you know, that third slot. And so did, did you have someone who could either be good enough as a third scorer to, you know, make it good enough for them and the, and, the, and the defense could win them games or a guy that could step up into that number two spot. And I think Grady has shown at this point that he has the ability to jump into that number two spot, be that prolific scorer, and give Kansas really that other perimeter offensive option that they really need. Um, okay, I, I don't want us to, to go the entire time without talking about, you know, the leader of the team, the guy that did pretty much everything, Jalen Wilson. You know, he was 7 of 16, uh, for 32 points, he was three of seven from three, which I think was the biggest improvement for him. Um, you know, he, he was perfect from the free throw line, only shot two and, and, and Kansas only shot 15 free throws in the entire game. So it's not like it was a, you know, a case where a bunch of people were getting the line and, and, and Dick wasn't or Wilson wasn't. Um, there just weren't very many free, free throws to go around, but the big stat that jumped out to me was his defensive rebounds. He got 10 of them. That was kind of his thing last year was being the, you know, the best rebounder even with guys like McCormick in the middle. Um, it just seems to be the way that he plays. He's really good at getting to the glass. But he had seven assists, which was just one behind Dewan Harris. And I think I was most impressed by how well, like, the, the vision he had on the floor, getting the ball where it needed to be, and really being that secondary ball handler that, that we wondered if Kansas was going to have. Yeah, because you knew coming out of last year that he was going to be a great defensive rebounder, and he has the ability to start breaks in transition, which is what Kansas needs. He did that last night. The shot you can you can definitely tell even in the mid range like the step back kind of twelve to fifteen footer he's got down much better than he had like he's he's creating his own shot in a way that he really hadn't done before and the three point shot looks better but yeah the, you add in you know I think if you can take basically you have eleven of Kansas's twenty four uh, assists came from Wilson and KJ Adams who are your you know four slash small five. Uh, and the ability to kind of suck people in and then find the open guy like that's that was the part that stood out to me was the assist for for Wilson because you knew what he was going to be able to do from a rebounding perspective starting breaks the shot does look a lot better you know I still think I don't think he's going to be a 40% three-point shooter this year but he's going to be 
he's not going to have a you know 20 percent start to the season for the first couple months like he did last year and now he's got more game where he's creating his own shot in the mid-range uh, that you can see but the assist yeah like his his vision looks good right now and he's seeing the floor he's it seems like you know there's these guys still need time to gel and to kind of you know know where each other's going to be but i think that the passing element from both him and KJ was pretty optimistic uh, out of the things that, you know, you knew what Jalen Wilson was going to give you in the other areas. Uh, but that, that was a, just an added, especially with these guys trying to get together. Like that was the part that stood out to me. It was like, okay, yeah, he's, he's got this. Like he is seeing things just so much better than he saw them a year ago. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what we learned from this game and obviously we'll get another opportunity to see that against North Dakota state. Um, on Friday before the big test against Duke, you know, this team seems to have found a way to do pretty much everything by committee. And I think by the time we get to the end of the year, they will have solidified roles. You know, hopefully you'll have a guy in like Uday who can be that main defensive rebounding threat down low and, you know, guys that can get on, on the offensive glass and all this stuff. But, but it's one of those things where like, this is the best start that you probably could have hoped for. They're setting themselves up for some really, really good, um, you know, a really, really good November and a good start to the season. And my dog is going crazy right now because apparently he doesn't like the fact that I don't, you know, think that the Jayhawks are fantastic at this point. No, honestly. Um, but no, so, I mean, I, I think, I think we, we've covered everything at this point. Let's go ahead and cut it off here, but, uh, we won't have another chance to talk before the Champions Classic next Tuesday. So really quick before you get out of here, any thoughts about that game? Anything specifically that you're looking forward to seeing in that game? Uh, and I, I didn't get a chance to watch Duke last night because I was at, at the game. So I, I can't give a good scouting report at this point, but this is going to be an interesting one because you have a lot of new faces uh, with, with Duke, a lot of freshmen in there. This is going to be their first kind of big environment. That's where I think at least McCuller and Wilson and Harris have the edge there in terms of they've kind of been there, done that, and they can help Uh Tons and tons of storylines. I mean, you got John Shire, you've got Norm Roberts going to be taking over. Like, I, I know we didn't even talk about that whole aspect of it, but uh, yeah, I think this is going to be this is going to be one. This is going to be a really good test because this is an opportunity where a loss doesn't hurt you. Like Duke is very good, and at least on paper, and and you know, like starting out in the season, like as long as you're competitive, a win helps going to help your your confidence a lot. But you know, right now, it's more about experimenting and getting the right lineups and getting guys figured out than it is necessarily winning that game. So it's not a, there's not a bad spot. There's no, I don't think unless, unless KU loses by 35, I don't think there's any sort of post-game reaction where we're like, Oh no, the sky's falling here for this game. Um, it, it's going to be really interesting to see, because I could see it going a lot of different ways. I think it's going to be close though, just given there's so many new faces on both sides. I think Duke is in a very similar situation not only with a new coach, but just you got a lot of freshmen, you got some transfers, you, you're just really trying to figure out what you have and how it all works together. And so I think we're going to see that on both sides where it's just a lot of guys trying to figure it out and seeing and who can kind of piece together the right lineups and the right, you know, mix and match the best and just kind of be able to, that's your first test kind of really under the lights in a big environment on national TV and primetime sort of thing. So I have no idea how it's going to go, but I'm really interested to, to find out. Yeah. I mean, I think that Bill Self in the past has used these sorts of games. Obviously you want to win if you're going to play, but it's one of those things where what's much more important in these games is figuring out what it is you need to work on to be successful in March. Um, and so this is always a good test for them, an early test for them to figure out what the, the most glaring issues are so they can get working on those. And so I, I'm fairly certain that uh, Norm Roberts is going to treat this exactly the same way as Bill Self does. They're going to, you know, try everything that they can, try to find stuff that's working and try to build some success and then go from there. So, all right, well, that is going to do it for us today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening to this packed episode covering both of the fantastic teams that are performing right now. Um, I, I'm going to have to find some time. I, I keep hoping to get a, a women's basketball preview as well, but I have unfortunately not been able to secure a guest yet for that. But we will be talking about the women at some point here, either this week or next week. So make sure you guys stay tuned. But that is going to do it for us. Uh, 
Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wh- wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. You can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments. It'd be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you can't do that, just let us know what it is you can be doing better. Um, we really do bring the podcast to you guys to get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want me to try to interview, anything like that, Contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network, which is over on the Sports Drink Network, which is your, your water cooler for all things sports and not sports. Two fantastic networks. If you head over to 1012network.com, you can find links to all the great shows that we have covering all the teams in the Big 12 Conference. But uh, make sure you visit our sponsors, Home Field Apparel and prize picks use promo code chalk 12 at both of those locations and you can get fantastic deals but that is going to do it for us thank you so much for listening and we will catch you guys next time on the rock chalk podcast sports social podcast network Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.